last week was a message about brokenness. I wanted to touch on it again this week and then add to it if I may. And so I want to take you back to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the place where David is broken and he writes this psalm in his brokenness. And the verse that we looked at last week that we want to jump off from this week is found in verse 17. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Y'all remember this from last week? This is our broken heart. It is the thing that God says, if I have a desire, this is my desire, it's for your heart. Of all the things that God wants, you know what He wants the most? Your heart. And He'll take it any way He can get it. And so most of us can't come and bring a perfect heart. And I dare say that there's anyone who can make it through adulthood without being broken, without being hurt and wounded, without some traumas in your life. But what I have found in my own life and I have found to be true in ministry is that this right here, this broken heart that is supposed to be given to God, I find it's the hardest thing for us to do as believers or unbelievers is to bring God that broken heart. And instead of bringing Him a broken heart, what we tend to want to do is this. Actually, I'll hold on to this. We, We want to camouflage our heart. And we'll put it behind pretty clothes and a smiling face, a good job, whatever it may be, whatever we can find. And we'll try to cover the fact that deep down inside we're carrying some damage. And and we'll try to present that to God. And we'll try to pull it off in front of man. And the saddest thing about it is most of the time the world sees our brokenness much more clearly than we do. Not fooling anybody. Certainly not fooling God. But I I find this as well. Is that when we're in the midst of trying to pretend. Then the only natural thing left to do. Is to try to find some way to earn favor with God. Because you see God is holy. That means he's different than us. If we can't even explain it, there is something that resides deep inside of our bones that says, there is a God, and I am not Him. And He is different than me. And the tendency is then to want to bring something to God in order that we might find favor with Him. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is there anybody in the room that felt like you had to do something That this clearly was not enough. That I had to do something. Just just tell me what to do. And and I'll do it. Interestingly enough, when you look at cultures all around the world, every culture has a culture of sacrifice. Did you know that? You look all around the globe, on every continent, and you will find a people group there who knew in some sense that there was a God and felt like there had to be a sacrifice made to God in order to find favor with Him. It's somehow sort of etched in the DNA. 
not only this, and this is the thing that troubles me the most, is that you will find all over the globe the sacrificing of humans to gods. Isn't that sad? Even the sacrificing of children to the gods. Now, when I say gods, I mean little g. You're following me, right? Yeah. Sacrificing your own children in the world that we live in, that hardly seems normal. We certainly don't condone that. What is it that would drive people to put their children on an altar in order to appease God? Hmm. Could it be that it's because we realize that we do not control the world that we live in? But we sure want to, don't we? And we spend a great deal of our time trying to control things, and yet we realize that in a lot of ways the world is out of our control. And when you look back at historians and anthropologists, and normally when you say historians and anthropologists, that's a good cue for everybody to go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. But, but they will tell you that in a lot of cultures, they're trying to control things that they can't control. The weather. That there are storms. And, and people didn't know where the storms came from. And so they said, well, there, there must be a God. And somehow, if we can just appease the God, give an offering to God, then we can make the weather work out. If I've got to sail across the seas, the oceans, if I'm going to get in the water, that there are storms that come up, and I can't control those things. There must be a God of the ocean, a God of the water, and somehow if I can appease Him, it'll be safe. There's this thought that tragedy comes, and, and tragedy must come because we've done something wrong, and the gods are mad at us. And if we can just offer something up to those gods, maybe we can make them not so mad. If we can just offer something. When the harvest come in, Success back then was not, could you drive a, a Mercedes or a big fine car or live in a big fine house? It was, can you just get the crops in? But you didn't know how to do that because you couldn't control the weather and you couldn't control the temperature and you couldn't control the harvest. And so you just made offerings to these gods to try to have children, to try to produce animals, to have a, a good crop. And what I found is that when it comes to God, even among Christians, we still look and sound very pagan. You didn't know I was going there, did you? You were like, I didn't know where you were going, but I didn't think we were going to end up there. Much of what we do as Christians looks pagan. It looks like a people trying to appease an angry God. To get a, a God to do something that I want Him to do. And so I will tell you that when I look at Scripture, and I want to take this back, I want to go all the way back to Abraham. So you need to follow me over to Genesis chapter 22, if you will. Do you all remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? I want to teach it from a, a perspective that maybe you've, you've not thought about in a while. We... We talk about this sacrifice. Abraham is instructed by God. Now here's the crazy thing after what I just said. <laughs> he is instructed by God to take his, his son, not his, one of his sons, his only son, and to sacrifice him, to kill him. Now this is Abraham's only son, and God has made a promise to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to make you great. You're going to have any number of children. 
But now all of a sudden God says, but this one, I want you to take him up and sacrifice him. And we normally preach that from the perspective of just Abraham having to do something in faith, just trusting God that he's going to make it work out. I want to look at another perspective. It was not uncommon in Abraham's day for people to sacrifice their children to the gods. Let that sink in for a minute. He is living among a people who it is all too common, actually, for their gods to tell them to sacrifice their little ones on an altar to pour out their blood, to burn them. I, I don't even like talking about it, do you? But it was all too common. So when Abraham hears this, he's learning God. See, we read Abraham and we think he's got it all figured out. He doesn't, y'all. He's just like us in many ways. He's figuring out God. And God is revealing himself to Abraham. And so Abraham says, well, I guess my God is like all the other gods. And somehow I've got to trust him to, to make this thing work out. Key verse, Genesis chapter 22. Verse 13, Abraham is about to do it. And an angel of the Lord comes and he stops him. And he says, Abraham, that won't be necessary. Amen. And then in verse 13, then Abraham raised his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. <laughs> so here is Abraham willing to take his son and place him on that altar. And a point is made that day that has forever been true which is this, and you take it for granted and don't. God says to Abraham, I don't want your son. I don't want your children. I will never require you to sacrifice your children. One day I'll send mine. What great love. You see, God is making a stand that day. And he has to take Abraham to that place of absolute brokenness to convince him otherwise. And he teaches him that day. And then Moses puts it in the law. And God says this, you will never sacrifice your children. You will never have to do that. My intention was never that. Instead, I'll be the ram. I'll come. I'll die for you. There's something I like to do. I like to mess with parents sometimes. If you're a parent, I'm going to mess with you for a moment. See if you can understand this. Chris has three children. A daughter, his oldest, two sons. Chris, somebody has to die. Which one of your three children will you sacrifice? No, Chris, I need a sacrifice. There's, there's three. There's, everybody makes a sacrifice. There's, there's three children of yours. Which, which one are you going to give? You, you can't do it, can you? You can't do it. But if you push somebody hard enough, I tell you what they will do. It's the heart of even human parents. You say, which one? And all of a sudden, that parent, if they get boxed into a corner, pushed into a corner, they'll say, not them. Take me. See, y'all are all parents, you know. Yeah. 
Do you hear that? Every one of you is nodding your head. You would say, no, not them. You take me. I'll go. If there's anybody that has to die, I'll do the dying so that they might live. Did everybody hear that? Do you hear the heart of God in that? You have got to hear the heart of God in that. That said, I don't want your children. I would never ask you to do that. You want to know my heart? I couldn't pick one of you. So I became flesh. It says, and he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. Abraham learned something that day. I hope you learned it too. If you didn't know it before now, I hope you did. That God said, I don't want your sacrifice. I will be the sacrifice. Hmm. And then let's move on forward to David. This Psalm 51. David is called in adultery. You remember that from last week? So he's called in adultery and he tries to cover it up. But when he can't cover it up, he decides the only thing left to do is to kill the husband and to try to cover it up that way. And that would have all worked, apparently, except for a prophet named Nathan who comes to him. And in a story, he reveals to David David's sin, and David's heart is broken. And out of that, we get Psalm 51. Now, here's an interesting thing. I'm always learning as I study Scripture. Are you? I sure hope you are. I sure hope you know more today than last year. More today than you did three years ago. I, I hope you're still learning. And, and I'm still learning too. And when I look at the life of David, one of the questions that comes up is this. Where's the sacrifice? After David sins, where's the sacrifice? Because now they're in a system where they're, they're sacrificing animals. Abraham and the law. and there, there, was, uh, there should have been an animal sacrifice, right? There's no sacrifice. There was no sacrifice for David when he committed adultery. There was no sacrifice when he tried to cover it up. There's no sacrifice when he killed Uriah. Why is there no sacrifice? Because the sacrificial system that Moses was put in place that God gave him didn't cover intentional sin. Oh, that's a game changer. Some of y'all are going to have to go back and study a little bit and it'll make sense. But I, but, but I need to let you hear that because that was a game changer for me. You see, we've looked at it from a Christian standpoint that a lot of times we forget to look at it from a Jewish standpoint. So I went back and started asking some questions. There was never any sacrifice in the Old Testament for an intentional sin. Only unintentional. Now, many of you are sitting there and you're like, Kevin, I'm kind of scared right now. Because <laughs> most of my sins have been intentional. I'm with you. If you ask me how many of your sins were unintentional and intentional, I'm like, unfortunately, I knew exactly what I was doing like 99.9% of the time. Here's how that worked. The sacrifices for unintentional sins, things like this. You've been working. You didn't have your calendar and your watch and your Facebook and all that kind of stuff to tell you what day it is. And so your husband's out working and you realize it's the Sabbath. And you run out and you tell him, Stop. Because you're working on the Sabbath and, and you're not supposed to. And the punishment for that is, is death. But the reality is he didn't mean to. So there's a sacrifice for that. He can go and make a sacrifice because he didn't mean to. If he touched something holy and you didn't mean to, there was a sacrifice for that. But if you did something 
and you meant to do it, there's no sacrifice. That's why David had no sacrifice to make when he committed adultery, when he tried to cover it up, and when he committed murder. Oh, now if anybody's in the room, some of y'all ought to be saying, Kevin, you need to hurry up and get to the point. Because I'm more scared in church than I've ever been in my life. What do we do for intentional sin? Can I just read? I know it's long, but I want to read this whole thing to you. If you don't have your Bibles, listen to me as I read. If you have it, follow with me. I'm in Psalm 51. I'm going to be in the New American Standard. If you have your phone, you can go to NASB. I just want to read this to you. This is a man who realizes there is no sacrifice for his sin. And he is broken. He says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Do you hear him? You hear a broken heart? He says, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak. And blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in my innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me no wisdom. Purify me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sustain me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways. Ooh, listen to that. And sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you did not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifice of God are broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifice and burnt offering. In whole burnt offerings, the young bulls will be offered on your altar. Here's what God, what, here's what David learned in his brokenness that the only thing you can bring to God is a broken heart. But when you bring that broken heart, a God who realizes that he is making provision for the sins of the whole world can offer you forgiveness. But instead, what was happening to a group of people is that they were making sacrifices but never a broken heart. You you ever wanted God to do something, and yet your heart wasn't broken by it yet? You you were wanting God to change something, and yet you had to realize, wait a minute, I'm not sorry. 
I'm not sorry at all for what I did. Sorry I got caught. <laughs> sorry I got in trouble. I'm sorry things are going bad for me. And David realized, I've got nothing to give but a broken heart. And God says later on throughout Scripture, He says, I don't delight in your sacrifices. They actually make my nostrils, they stink, they make me nauseous because you give them and your heart is not in them. And he said, you can't expect that a sacrifice is going to cover anything when your heart is not in it. So what is it that you can give to God? Nothing but a broken heart, a contrite heart. And God says, that I'll take. Because one day I am coming to make provision for the sins of the world. But I need your heart. We move forward and Jesus comes. Jesus comes and he becomes the, the fulfillment of Isaac. Isaac is the only son who carries wood on his back up a mountain to make a sacrifice. <laughs> Jesus was the only son, the only begotten son who carried wood on his back up a mountain. Why? To make a sacrifice. Yeah. Jesus comes. So that then we can give our broken heart and receive his righteousness. And you can't earn that. In fact, many people have struggled over a verse over in Hebrews chapter 10. I want to take you there. Will you go with me? Look at Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Now, most people have looked at that and said, if I receive Christ and then I sin willfully, there's no more sacrifice for me. I'm, I'm undone. What do I do? This scripture is reading, written to a Hebrew people who understood there never was a sacrifice for willing disobedience. And so what he is telling the people is, if Jesus, listen to me good right here, y'all lock eyes with me. If Jesus is not enough, there won't ever be enough. Amen. That's, that's what that's saying. He's writing to the Hebrew people and he's saying, don't go back. They want to go back to a sacrificial system, something that they're familiar with. But he reminds them, there was never a sacrifice for willful sin. If you go back there, there is nothing that can make you right. If Jesus is not enough, It'll never be enough. Some of you who have been trying to make sacrifices to God, hoping that if you can just do the right thing, that God will receive you. I will tell you, you cannot do enough. That is a filthy sacrifice. Every person has to come to a place in their walk with God where they have decided, if He is not enough, nothing is ever good enough. Jesus, you're enough. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you looked into the eyes of the Lord and said, God, I see it now. You're enough. It'll transform your entire life. And if you do not do that, can I tell you some practical things that will just get messed up? Can we get real practical right now? Okay. I've talked to you about this before. 
if the forgiveness of Jesus is not enough, then you will hold grudges against other people because you think if God is holding something against me, then by golly, <laughs> they not getting off. Right? You like, I mean, if God is holding some stuff against me, then I'm not letting you go free because you're going to be on the hook just like me. And I've told you before, I've heard this in folks, and I want to bring it up just one more time. People say, I got to forgive them because, you know, if I don't forgive them, God won't forgive me. We talked about this, right? I'm going to say that one more time. You will hear people say all the time, I, I guess I got to forgive them because, you know, I want my, my sins to be forgiven too. And, and I just, I try to look at those people in as loving a way as possible. I'm like, you missed the point. You don't forgive because you want to be forgiven. That's trying to appease God. That's like a sacrifice to a pagan God. That's not who we are. That's not what we believe. You know why we forgive? Because we've been so forgiven. We, we stand at those who say, I can't possibly hold a grudge against you. And somebody says, well, why not? I hurt you. Because you don't know how much I've been forgiven. You, you don't know the things that have run through my mind. Oh, y'all didn't want us to talk about stuff running through your mind, did you? Now, you're not accountable for the stuff that runs through your mind. But unfortunately, some of that stuff will start to run through. And we will stop it and sit in the car for a little bit, right? Take it for a spin. And you realize that wasn't a passing thought. That was a meditation of my heart for a little bit. And, and so whenever we struggle with forgiveness, the issue is not, oh, I'm going to forgive because I want Jesus to forgive me. Probably not going to happen. Probably not going to find forgiveness. You know why? Because you went about it all wrong. You have got to realize how much you have been forgiven. And then there, there are things that we try to do uh, in order to appease God, to make God happy. And so we'll, we'll try some stuff like, well, my life is a mess. I guess I'm going to go back to church again. I don't know how many people I am talking about a relationship with the Lord, and they'll look at me and they'll go, I know, I got to get back in church. I'm like, did, did I say church? I, I didn't, we weren't talking about church. I was talking about Jesus and how you need a relationship with Jesus. How did you take that to mean, well, I just better get back to church? Because there are people who believe, well, if I go to church, good things will happen to me. But if I don't go to church, then bad things will happen to me. That's appeasing a pagan God. That is not the heart of God. I, yes, I want to be in church all the time. You know why? Because I love you guys. And there is power among us when we gather together. And it is such an amazing and powerful thing. The last thing on my mind is, oh, it's Sunday. Well, I guess I better go because I hadn't been in a while and God will be mad. Wash machine might break. <laughs> Kids probably go crazy this week. Might lose my job. That's pagan. Not the God we serve. You hear people say, and, and I've done this before, so I'm only going to touch on this for a minute. Kevin, how much Bible am I supposed to read? As much as you want to read. <laughs> the reality is you don't want to read it. That's the reality. So what you're asking is, how little can I read and it still be counted as good to me? Right. Offering to a pagan God. 
God, I read some stuff. Now bless me today. You know, God, I, I gave some money today, so I'm expecting my finances to improve. There's a whole mindset out there about sowing and how you ought to sow something in order to reap a harvest. And I believe it comes from a good place. But it can also get messed up. And for anybody in the room who misunderstood that, if you think you're going to get rich because you put something in the offering plate, tell me your name and we'll go get it out. Every time I say that, Chris gets mad at me. He's like, don't tell them that. <laughs> Just tell them to change. I'm like, no, if that's why you gave it, then, then tell me your name and you can have it back. Because you're offering a sacrifice to a pagan God, and that's not what we do around here. These offerings are free will. We give them because we've been blessed. We give them because of what God has done. We don't compel people to do this, and we don't tell people that your car's going to break down and all that crazy stuff if you don't. We do it because we want to, not because we have to. And then what do we do with things like worship? And you come in, you're like, yeah, we just got to worship today. We're going to sing a few songs. I wish I had time to take you back to Cain and Abel and how they made a sacrifice and how when you look back at that sacrifice, God never asked them to make it. Ooh! Go back and look. Cain brought a sacrifice. Show me in there where God said to offer up a sacrifice. He didn't ask. It is not recorded. So Cain and Abel both come and bring a sacrifice and one is acceptable and one is not. And I'll tell you, I believe one is not acceptable because God talks to Cain and talks to him about his heart. Can I tell you that when we're in worship, I don't think that we worship ought to have to. That we worship because that's that 30 or 45 minutes or whatever. We worship because we come knowing that we serve a great and a mighty God who gave His life for us, who pours out His goodness to us, when even when it is not good, and like Amy said, even when I don't even understand it, I may not know what He's doing with His hands, but I know His heart. And I would just tell you, I believe as a church, we ought to decide that we would never give. You ready for this? I don't think we should ever give a filthy offering of worship to God. I don't, I don't think we ought to come in here and ever give a half-hearted worship to God. And if you hear that and say, if I don't give a good worship to God, God's going to get me. It's not sitting in yet. We're just going to keep working. We don't worship because we have to. We don't worship because the worship leader says stand and sing. We worship because it's the only thing we've got left to do. It's like I tried to do all kind of other stuff. It was filthy rags. The only thing I've got left is my worship. And I will throw up my hands and I will throw up my voice. And if I can't sing, I'll give that anyway. Why? Because I can't help but be thankful to God. Now, one more. Sin. How many of us struggle with sin? How many of us know that there are things that God has done in our life and taken them away, but if you talk to people, you will find that there is usually something and they, they're trying to figure out how to get rid of this thing. And when it comes up, when that sin manifests itself, then the temptation is, oh no, there it is again. Okay, I can't go to church because I done messed up. Now, come on, how many of you ever did that? 
that, that when something was going wrong, you felt like, I can't go to church. Look at what I've done. God, God can't, can't possibly receive me. And, and so there's this sin, and we're trying to figure out what to do with it. And I believe it, it's a lot like forgiveness. And let's see if I can bring this around. I've been meditating on this for a while, and I feel like it's time for me to share it. Oftentimes, the only reason we want to get rid of sin in our life is because we think it's going to obstruct something that we want God to do in our life. Amen. That's a long pregnant pause to let you think about that. And for me to say it one more time. That a lot of times the reason that we are concerned with sin is because we're afraid it's going to obstruct something that we want God to do in our life. And so we say, oh no, I've sinned again. If I, man, if I don't get this right, then surely God's not going to bless my business. I got to get this right because if I don't do this, God won't bless my family. If I don't do this right, God won't bless my ministry. Yeah. And the reality is this. Unfortunately, what that says is that you still have a taste for that sin in your mouth. Can I say that one more? I know I'm repeating myself some, but I, some of this stuff I feel like I got to say it. It hits you and then you're like, hold on, I got to think about that is that a lot of times the reason that we don't overcome sin in our life is because we still got a taste for it. And the reality is we keep doing it if we thought we could get away with it. We keep doing it if we thought that nothing would happen to us. And what happens is, and Scripture says this, Satan will use that as an opportunity to come into your life and wreak havoc with your life. Because your mindset is, oh Lord, I've sinned, now bad things are going to happen. And Satan says, I'm glad you said that. Because that's the perfect opportunity for me to step in as the one who kills, steals, and destroys. And to kill, steal, and destroy. And rather than them seeing me, they're going to see God and they're going to blame Him. I feel like I'm preaching and I don't know if y'all getting it. So when it comes to sin, we're sitting there blaming God for something that the enemy is doing. And the reason we can't get any freedom from it is because we haven't seen it the way that David saw it. Can I take you back to Psalm 51 again? You see, if you go back to Psalm 51, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. See, that's the beginning of repentance right there. It's when you see it as nasty as it is. When David was confronted with the fact that he took a young lamb from a man who only had one lamb. You're like, what are you talking about there? The prophet Nathan went to David and said, David, what would you do if a man had a lamb? Somebody came and took his only lamb. He said, I'd kill him. He looked at him and he said, David, you're the man. You're the one. 
And it broke David's heart and he saw it the way that it was. Can I tell you, I don't believe that there is victory in sin. When we are making peace offerings before God, the only thing that sets us free from that sin in our life is the precious blood of Jesus and a broken heart. And there are times where the only thing we can do is be broken over our sin. Bring it to God. And then when God puts it back together like the message last week, then there is only one thing left, which if you will follow me for the one last scripture for today, Hebrews 13, it is the closing argument of the, of the whole book of Hebrews. It's the, it's the final where he sums it up. Listen to what he says, Hebrews 13, verse 15, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of what? Praise. praise. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to His name. God says, you want to offer up a sacrifice? There's really only one thing left to do when I get done. Do you hear God saying that? He says, child, there's only one thing left to do when I get done. And that's praise me. It's to let praise come out of your lips. And I would suggest that when we watch the praise level that is going from our lips, we will understand what is going on in our hearts. And if there hasn't been much praise lately, maybe we need to go back and look at sin. Maybe we need to go back and look and see if we're acting like pagans. And if what we want actually is not to come to God and say, God, you're enough. But we want to come to God and say, what do I need to do so that you might bless my life? Yeah, can we get rid of that today? I think we need to uproot that, that sin that, that can find its way in us. And, and realize that if that's how we're coming, God, I just want you to bless me. I, I, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes because I want you to make my finances work right. And I need you to get my family in order. And I, and I want to have some money in the bank. And so what do I need to do? Just tell me what to do. And we wonder why it's silent. <laughs> and because God says, I am not a pagan God. I'm a holy God. And there's only one thing you can give to a holy God. Praise. So I want to ask you just one thing as an invitation. Will you guys come up and play, Lord, I need you? I want to do this as an, off, as an invitation. And guys, we'll receive the offering right here. And these connect cards are in your seats. So that if a decision is made today or you just say, I don't know what to do, but I want to be made whole. I want to be well. I want to grow. I want Jesus to be enough. Then if nothing else, just sign your name and turn it into this offering box and we will contact you this week. One thing on that, when somebody calls you and when people begin to reach out, if you've already filled out those cards, can I just give you one thing that I've seen over the years? It's that when help comes, you look at the help and you go, well, I don't really want that person helping me. Or I, I don't really want to do it that way. I want to do it this way. Can, can I tell you that when you're broken, it shouldn't matter who comes to help. 
and, and the method that they use shouldn't matter either. You ought to just present yourself on the altar and say, God, however you choose to do it and whoever you choose to do it through will be good enough for me. I'll take the help. So the invitation is this. I would like you to do one of two things today. Either give your heart to God or give God praise. Either give Him your heart or give Him praise. Anything else today might just be filthy sacrifices to a pagan God. Will you stand with me? D, will you come? Chris, will you come? In case someone wants to receive Christ today, somebody wants to give your heart, then you come on down and talk to these two men. Give Him your heart or give Him praise.